Hello! And welcome back to The Snub Club. The show that we really need to come up with a theme song for. But it's also... <laughs> I've been thinking... I've been thinking about that, y'all. Um, I, I've got some stuff in the works. Oh, yeah. I was okay. thinking about that, too. Because okay. I listened to, to Pimp Your Podcast immediately when you didn't pimp ours on yours. Uh, because I listened to it today. And I was... Uh, because I recorded that before we started The Snub Club. Oh, really? Club. Wow. It's that old of a... <laughs> I didn't That's an that. old recording. Oh, wow. I would did not expect. Anyway, so uh, Caleb has a new podcast and it has a cool theme song. And hey, we who, don't have who a cool are you guys? Uh, I'm not Caleb. That's why I'm pimping his movie. I'm not. I'm not Danny. But I'm we're both Sarah. not Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> See, if we were all in the room together, that's the kind of like me and Danny could have like coordinated that and made mm. it work perfect. You know, yeah. I think it still worked. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Danny Vincent. I'm Caleb Bunn. And I'm Sarah Kanoff. This is the podcast where we talk about the movie that was nominated for the most Academy Awards that had no wins. And I don't know if you guys heard, but unfortunately the Oscars still exist, which means that, yeah, we're, we're an Oscars podcast that hates the Oscars, uh, which means we have a new <laughs> movie to add to our long list. Uh, so what is it, Sarah? Because I know you were the one who was keeping track during it. Yes. In five-ish years, we will be covering Aaron Sorkin's the Trial of the Chicago 7. Yay. We all are thrilled. Yeah. Who, I can't wait. You you were thinking of the father, to... right, Caleb? And was there any other I, was there any other I thought it was going to be the father as okay. well. All right. I think us, like probably most of the members of the Academy, thought that Chadwick Boseman was a lock to win. Uh, Well, not to get into that. I was The thing is that even if Chadwick won, I was pretty sure that the father was going to win Adapted Screenplay. Uh, because I don't think Nomadland is really like a screenplay movie. Yeah, well, I mean, we could just move on unless you guys want to really dissect this year's Oscars. I'm okay with waiting five years for that. <laughs> I will ask, I will ask, um, because I didn't watch them, because I had a friend who invited me over to their backyard, um, and I was like, I haven't seen Friends in a year. I'll do that instead of watching this show. Um, was, there, was there anything that I should go back and seek out? Daniel Kaluuya's acceptance speech. Uh... I'd also say the woman from Minari that I don't want to mispronounce her name. Like Francis McDormand's acceptance speech was also for, very good. For picture though, right? I would say No, for actress. Oh, well, I would do picture first then. I like to I personally like the picture one more. Uh but but the actress one is good too. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of like two sides of the same speech in my opinion. Uh All right, and then cool. you can also look up your girl's speech too for director. You just you know, want to get I'm hoping, I'm hoping that she has plenty more directory speeches in her future. So if I miss out on this one, maybe not a big deal. I was gonna say, uh, she gave like about thirty directory speeches in the past year. <laughs> she won everywhere. Oh, well, she should do more. <laughs> yeah, it's I would true. not be opposed to it. Uh, well, you say that now, but next year when MC, an MCU movie is sweeping the Oscars, we'll we'll see if you toot the same horn. <laughs> I mean, this wouldn't wouldn't be the first year, would it? Uh, Ryan Coogler didn't get anything. All right. This is my MCU <laughs> podcast. We're moving on. Uh, so this week we are in the fifth Academy Awards. What? So let's do my countdown to announce the subject. So this movie was one of the most nominated of that year, uh, uh, which 
this year topped out at four nominations. Uh, so the other one was The Champ, which won two awards. The Champ won... Uh, it, it tied for Best Actor, something I'm sure Steven Soderbergh wishes happened. And, uh, and uh, it also won Best Original Story, uh, The Champ. Uh, but what we're covering is John Ford's Aerosmith. All right, so Aerosmith. Uh, should we say what it was nominated for first? That's or what we, we usually yeah, do. Sure. I don't remember. It's been two weeks. It's been a long two weeks. There was an entire Oscar ceremony. Those usually That's last true. Like a week in and of themselves. Uh, so this was nominated for... Oh, wait, Sarah, do you want to do it or do you want me to do it? Uh, well, do typically it. I do it. So. Yeah, so get off. <laughs> um, so Aerosmith was nominated for four Academy Awards. Uh for Best Picture, and it lost to Grand Hotel, not directed by Wes Anderson. Uh, Best Writing Adaptation for Sidney Howard, uh, which lost to Bad Girl. Bad Best girl, Cinematography bad for Ray June, who lost to Lee Garms for Shanghai Express. Lee Garms uh, did the... a friend of the, the podcast. <laughs> he did the cinematography for Morocco, so very nice. Uh, and then best art direction for Richard Day, which lost to Transatlantic. But um, this, the whole cast and crew of this production definitely intimately knew the Oscars. So they didn't, you know, they missed out this year, but um, there is still plenty of Oscar love to go around for yeah. a lot of these people. And, uh, Oh, shoot. I have the Babe one still open. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> we talked about Babe right before we started recording. Which we will not be covering because it did win an Oscar. Congrats, George Miller, producer. Uh, anyway, uh, people kept telling me, like, after the Morocco episode, the feedback I got was, yeah, I guess you're kind of right, but you should still check out Shanghai Express because that's the same creative team as Morocco. So maybe someday I'll watch Shanghai yeah. Express. But unfortunately, as Sarah said, it won something. So... Uh, we do not acknowledge s- traditional success on this podcast. We are all about upending the industry's ideas of success, one 1930s movie at a time. So anyway, going off of what Caleb just said, which is a good thing. To- no, no, no. I, 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 Caleb had a really good point there. We are now going to talk about a film directed by John Ford which I'm pretty sure is a very successful director as he has the record of winning four times for best director. Yes. Uh, so, but wasn't nominated for this weirdly enough. Uh, but maybe it's actually now I want to look up just very quickly when his first nomination was. Cause I'm, Oh no. It took me to the actor page for Nin- some reason. 1936. Oh, he had a so- movie called the informer. And he won an Oscar. Very Good nice. Very proud of him. No, no, his first one, though, was in 39. His first nomination was in 39, it says here. Oh, no, you're wrong. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Cancel me. It's about to say, 36 usually comes before 39. <laughs> says who? Says who? Anyway, so, uh, first off, I think we should give our general thoughts on this, because I would say... For me, if you haven't seen this movie, you shouldn't listen to this podcast, actually, because we're going to spoil it. And I thought it was good. So I would recommend you go out and you watch it yourself. You can rent it on Amazon something. (laughs) Not Amazon Prime. I don't have Amazon Prime, but on Amazon something. I'm sure you can find it. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, if we have Canadian listeners? Then it would be Amazon.ca. Oh, okay. Anyway, so I would recommend you actually seek this movie out. I think it's very good. I would not disagree. I think this is um, probably the best movie we've watched for the podcast so far. It's definitely the most interesting. I don't think this matters if you're spoiled on it or not. Yeah, that's because true. Don't, don't, please keep listening, guys. We, we, need, your, we need your views. <laughs> Uh, listens, I guess. We need your ears. You don't need to be watching us. No, you need to look at our logo the entire time. I, we have a good logo. Hey, I posted Fair a good Kale selfie on Twitter. So. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you guys were going to give your general thoughts, but then I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> I just did. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Um, I think it has kind of the same problem as Morocco in that I think the ending was a little bit poorly paced. Um, this is a weird antidote, but, or anecdote, um, but when I told my dad what I was going to be watching, my six-year-old dad, who the last movie he saw in theaters was The Last Jedi, um, he knew exactly what I was talking about, which is very weird. Yeah, this seems um, like an obscure John Ford. <laughs> yeah. Well, as obscure as a John Ford movie can be, you know? Um, so that was very strange that he, like, told me about it before I watched it, but thanks, Dad. Shout out to Brian. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was, we can get into it more. Um, I think in terms of, like, we've watched a few, you know, romance-type movies. I think in terms of being a romance, I actually thought it was, like, the best one that we've watched. Um, which is kind of a weird thing especially because not the focus no it's not the focus well especially because it was kind of an uh kind of lost in translation lost in adaptation that in the book aerosmith was a womanizer and in this he's it was censored so much yeah it was censored (laughs) so much that he's a one woman guy but he did have an affair in the movie it's not really addressed it's implied. I would say, like, for most of the movie, though, the problem is that he's more, like, he's more so singular, singularly focused on his work that he neglects his wife. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of, let's back it up a little bit. What is this movie about? Well, <laughs> guys, I got historical context oh, before let's we do that anything. first. And usually... Wait, what? There's historical context for a movie about the bubonic plague? What? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, I honestly would normally, you know, I would be fine with us just skipping past the historical context segment because usually I don't bring too much to the table. But this movie completely vindicated me doing this each week because I spent so much time looking into the history of vaccines because it's kind of super interesting. So are y'all ready for my PowerPoint presentation for my final in Vaccines 101? This is the vaccination special, so go right Vaccination ahead. special! <laughs> so, like, the history of vaccines, like, before that, there was a ton of history of inoculation and different types of vaccine-like treatments, especially in non-Western parts of the world. Um, I think especially Istanbul was known for them. But, like, the first, what we recognize as a vaccine was invented in the late 18th century. Uh, It was smallpox and it was made by this guy named Edward Jenner. And what's interesting is he got started uh, testing his theory on cows, which is something that's reflected in this movie. 
Um, and smallpox is one of the only two uh, diseases to have been eradicated uh, in human history, and it's the only one to have been eradicated through the use of a vaccine. Um, but vaccines didn't really take off until uh, the late 19th century, just because of like the complications in figuring out how to improve them and then like how to distribute them and stuff like that. So there were only five vaccines made in the 19th century, um, including one for bubonic plague made by Walter uh, Haefken, but it's not very effective. Aerosmith. Yeah, somebody named Martin Aerosmith. Um, (laughs) But ironically, uh, the bubonic plague vaccine was not deemed effective and still isn't. Uh, The World Health Organization only recommends it for high-risk groups today, so even after, you know, hundreds of years. And this movie coming out, apparently they haven't figured out how to how to vaccinate for that one. Um, but what I found interesting was that um, the number of vaccines skyrocketed in the 20th century. So there were only five in the 19th, but there were over 25 in the 20th. And there were five that were made between 1900 and 1939 or 31. So like, because the Spanish flu, I think right? we kind People of were trying to eradicate that. Right. Well, some of it, but also like some of those um, vaccines were for a bunch of other diseases, a lot of which we don't even think about today because, well, we we can get vaccinated for them. There were a few vaccines that were invented in the past few months, right? I heard about that. Yeah, this is just, uh, I'll say it at the end of the show as well, but uh, if you are living in the U.S. uh, and you are over the age of 16, you are now eligible to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, please do it. <laughs> There's no reason not to. Um, and yeah, it's yeah. free. It's Vaccines easy. Are good. It's just going to knock you out for a day, but you know what? You'd rather be out for a day than be dead, right? True. Just saying. I mean, think about, think about this way. Like you have one day where you're kind of sick or you have two weeks where you're sick. So yeah, that's too. And the two weeks you're um, sick, you can't see anyone you love because you could get them sick really easily. This is our PSA, but it's an important PSA. It's probably the most important PSA we can give right now. By, by the time this episode airs, I will be fully vaccinated. Um, so will I. You'll go to the movies I actually and see am fully vaccinated, yeah. I am going to see Spiral, which we'll talk about <laughs> off off podcast, but <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but to finish my, uh, my lecture... Um, <laughs> I think the part of the reason I said all of this stuff is because I feel like nowadays we kind of take, well, maybe before last year, I took kind of vaccines for granted as it's just, it's something you do every year. You go and you get your flu vaccine, you know, before you go to school, you get your mumps vaccine or measles or whatever. Um, But it was a very like contemporary science in the 1920s and one that was really groundbreaking. And so I think it makes sense that they would make a movie about this because it's like one of the most whatever we consider to be like the most exciting thing happening in science now is kind of what vaccines would have been in the 1930s. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting because my whole thought when I was watching this was like, you know, I've never really seen a movie about like doctors researching stuff to find a vaccine. besides, I guess probably contagion, which isn't about that primarily. That's just about a pandemic happening. And there's a, you know, there's a part of the story that's about the scientists trying to eradicate it. Um, so I thought this movie was just fascinating from that viewpoint. 
and how we people I think generally think of when I think of like the stereotypical older movie like from this era, I think of something like Love Parade or even Morocco. I don't think of like a movie about a scientist who's obsessed with being a scientist and not being viewed as a hack. And I think that's interesting. I, 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 as I said, I thought this was a good movie. Uh, and I thought the angle was really interesting too. Now, uh, shall we dive into it? As we say, yeah. uh, I want to start with the beginning of this movie. It's a very good place to start. No. Uh, <laughs> and that's when I was confused if I put on the wrong John Ford movie. Cause it opens with someone like on a on a uh, a what is it? What's it called? Uh, a stage a buggy. Coach? A buggy. Yeah. yeah. A buggy going west. No, it's it's def it's a covered wagon. It's a covered <laughs> Caleb is the western as a career, and it's just like we're going west to try to settle out there. <laughs> I'm really glad that last week y'all told me that this wasn't a western because if I had started it. I would have been so disappointed like <laughs> 10 seconds in when they cut from the Wild West to just some dude in an office. That's what, that's what it doesn't make any sense. Why did it open? Like, I, I'm not too bothered by you it. Can take, so... You can take John Ford out of the West. You can't take the West out of John Ford. All right. Uh, the other thing, though, I kind of it kind of speaks to my one of my main thoughts in this movie, which is that. For a 140 minute movie that was released in 19. 31 it's 31 right 31 1931 right okay so 1931 uh this movie being uh is that for even a movie that's 100 minutes and it takes place it came out in 1931 it uh you know this is so fast paced this is such a quick pace i feel like if the movie's mm-hmm. made today be at least two and a half hours long and if not it would be like a mini series on like fx because it just runs through a bunch of stuff. And as Sarah said, uh, the womanizing stuff from the novel was completely cut out. So I, I guess would be if you readapt this novel, it'd probably be nowadays, it'd be prestige TV. Uh, well, I feel also like kind of an indictment of the Hollywood system to her. But that's it has story. like a very like old movie quality. Um, and I don't even really know. I couldn't even give you another example, but I just feel like this is this happens in old movies a lot. But like. They'll cut to another scene and they'll be like, it's been two years. Yeah, I like that actually, though, about it. Yeah, I thought that was it was very it was a good way to progress it. And it didn't like it's kind of exposition-y, but it doesn't feel like bad because the thing is the movie like consistently does it. So to me, it doesn't ever feel out of place. It's just like this is how this movie spans its time. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'm on board. Sorry, Caleb, what? It reminded it, it reminded me of the first half of its wonderful life if we didn't have the framing device of the angels talking, because that's also a movie that jumps from like long periods of time, but you've got like that structure. This just doesn't have the structure. So it feels like John Ford just sat you down in a car and just hit the gas and like well, just is going for well, it. I assume this novel yeah, this novel is four hundred and forty I just opened up the page for the novel. It's four hundred and forty pages on paperback. I assume this is like a long Great American novel, you know what I mean? Um, also, since I was curious about it, I looked up other adaptation. Uh, fun fact, Helen Hayes reprised her role on an hour-long adaptation for a radio program where Orson Welles played Aerosmith. Uh, this was adapted several times for TV, and then there was a Czech miniseries in 1999, and that's the last time it's been made into a movie. Or a it medium. also was the inspiration for an American rock band. I'm just kidding. That's it says not fact checked. This is a popular <laughs> myth. Uh, uh, in fact, the name was initially rejected because they thought jo- drummer Joey Kramer got his name from the novel, 
but he explained a different spelling. The name came to him when he was listening to an album called Aereo Ballet. That's well, your other Aerosmith <laughs> <laughs> I, I never expect to hear Aerosmith trilogy <laughs> or uh, trivia from you. Well, ha- it's on the Aerosmith like, the <laughs> novel page, so I'm like, oh, okay. So back to the pacing. Um, I've talked about it briefly before, but the love story of this movie, which is not the focal point. Um, so the love story is I need to look up her her full name. He calls her Lee throughout the movie, but her full it's name Leonora, is Leonora. I think something. I think it's Leonora. Leora. Leora. Yes. Okay. I so it's it was weird. It's Martin like, Aerosmith, and he's a doctor, and he encounters uh, Leora Tozer, who is a nurse, and she's real sassy about it, um, which I I loved. Um, she's scrubbing the floor, and he's like. Are like, are you a nurse? And she's like, "Well, I am, but we're not supposed to scrub floors." It's just very, it's very good. It's a it's very, very good setup. Cute. It's a good meet cute. And you, yeah, and you, you watch the scene, and it's like, you know, immediately in the movie, and like it goes from him being like, "You should stand up when you when you talk to a doctor," to like he's like, "I'm going to report you," and all this stuff, and then he's like, "So when should we get dinner tonight?" And it's <laughs> real smooth, and I actually really dug it. And they end up getting married 10 minutes into the movie. And on their first date. He yes. Proposes. He tells he tells her that he's going to marry her on their first date. He calls her my love. He does all this stuff. And I found it completely believable. <laughs> Here's the one thing that almost ruined that for me. Uh, so they have great chemistry together. It's super fast paced, but so is everything in this movie. Like he goes to he goes to doctor school. Yes. <laughs> medicine school. I don't know why I'm forgetting what it's called. Medical school. But he goes to it within the span of a cut. Um, but what really ruined their relationship for me in those first opening minutes is she's like, I need some soft music for this moment. And so she puts a quarter in the jukebox <laughs> and it starts playing the William Tell Overture, which is not soft music. You know what? I loved it, though. <laughs> I thought it was charming. I thought it was funny. Then, uh, yes, I agree. But I want to I move on and in a way move back also uh but it it don't worry we will move forward uh so caleb i just remember it just popped in my head because this reminded me of it's wonderful life too but for a much more superficial reason which is that after this he has to give up his dream to move to a small town uh which is literally what it's a wonderful life is about however in this movie he's like nah we're going back to new york <laughs> eventually which is I'm, I'm down for it it's very different than what i'm expected from this type of story this whole movie gets a lot more cynical than I thought it was going to be. Judging yeah, there's, off the first there's half a hour. surprising, surprising number of dead babies in this movie. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's, yeah. I think that's probably the most pre-code thing about this is that I always heard that like, don't mention miscarriage. I can't think of mm-hmm. you know, you know uh, anything. And that also, of course, reminded me of Up at points too. But that also, the pacing reminded me of Up because Up goes through a whole life in four minutes, and this just goes. Yes. Up, 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 up. Uh, but yeah, no. Also that. What's interesting about him moving out is like it's framed very much as this go west young man like thing where it's like there's plenty of opportunity out there, but there isn't. And it's like this very interesting subversion of the Western ideal. I don't think I don't think the I think the film is pretty upfront, though, about that idea, because his whole thing is like I wanted to be a researcher and he's saying it's good. But then, of course, his uh, mentor is like, nah. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Like you're not a. You don't. They call it real man's country and a place of opportunity. 
yeah but he's also but then the mm-hmm. guy his mentor is like you wanted to be a scientist not a person helping old ladies so i think you're very immediately given the both sides of the angle of it and there is great opportunity out there ultimately because he finds the cows yeah but we're getting ourselves i also think like leora is like she's aware that where she grew up is like you know for hicks they need a doctor that's it like she's like we yeah don't need a doctor so I really and that's I mean I keep stressing this but I really like the dynamic of their relationship because I think that she is a good foil to him. You know I've and we've I talked she about constantly, she constantly follows him places. Yeah, Not, and we've more talked about in the New York section, but like you know the past few movies, you know women have become more subservient. You know as the movie goes on, um, we'll talk about what happens to Leora in this movie. But I feel like she pretty much maintains you know, who she is throughout the entire movie, which is, I, I really liked her character. I thought she was, you know, sassy. Yeah. I thought she was independent. Um, I really liked that she knew her worth. There's a lot of moments where she's like, you are a terrible husband, but that's fine. Um, and to, I just, I like that. I like the dynamic a lot. And to be kind to uh, Mr. Arrow, uh, I think he is like, he is an asshole. Uh, but I, he knows he's an asshole, which is mm-hmm. makes me like him more, too. And usually, like, in movies like this, even nowadays, you know, where there's, like, the hardworking husband and the dependable wife, the husband has no sense of self-awareness. But he's pretty much, like, constantly, like, not constantly, but, like, maybe once every five minutes, he's like, yeah, I probably should be home a bit more than I've been, you know? And I feel mm-hmm. like that feels well, very revolutionary for this being in 1930. Because now, movies nowadays still have that issue. I think it's this bigger thing within the movie where it's treating this as like a great man narrative where it's this one man who through his hard work and ingenuity and wit like solves this big problem and it's kind of this idea where you boil history down into these few individuals and part of that is that within this movie leora recognizes like the value he's bringing and stuff and that can be that's very interesting and i think it can strengthen her character at times But I also think this movie sometimes oversimplifies like the amount of collaboration and also the cost that it takes to get to like such big scientific discoveries. Well, Mm -hmm. sure. But I would say, yeah, I agree with that last point, but I would say if anything, this feels more like a deconstruction of the great man thing because it's constantly showing like the entire point of the third act is both what he is doing is wrong to deprive these people of vaccines but moreover, that by giving up on that uh, thing, he has degraded science. So you can't win either way, and he fails both ways. You Does anybody like, remember um, the inner title at the at the beginning of the movie? I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's I like don't remember it. it's like the man who the man who put his heart into his career and did everything for the love of one woman or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. I will say that um, the tagline for this movie uh, spoiled some element of it to me. Because the tagline I saw on Letterboxd was, He fought for man and lost a woman. Which made me go, okay, so either she's going to die or she's going to lose her, like, romance. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's going to walk out on him. Which is why at points when, I think at one point she goes, I'll walk out on you. I was like, ooh, is she actually going to walk out? Uh, and she doesn't. Well, actually, <laughs> not to jump too far in the back, but... um. Both of those do kind of happen to him. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
He is a great man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we love him. He's okay. He's okay. Uh, yeah. Um. Going back, so let's oh, sorry. talk about him in the in the small town because there is yeah. one event that we've kind of glossed over. I, yeah, I um, wanted to do that. It, wait. Go ahead, Sarah. I think we're going to talk about the same thing. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. My catchphrase is interrupting people. We decided that on my podcast recently. <laughs> How accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's in the small town. There's a guy who... Uh, says that his cows are dying. That's not what you're talking about. No, can I talk? I'm sorry. No, but I do want to talk about. No, I do want to talk about that. But I think we're skipping something, which is the first house call he makes. Oh, which I think is right. worth talking about. Uh, which is connected to the cows. Yeah. Yes, it is because it's the same guy. Yeah. Uh, first, before we talk about that, really, I want to make, give a side comment, which is I like that this movie has a lot of accents in it. It feels very much like all these people are recent immigrants to America, which yeah. is cool to me because that's always what I think. That's what the culture, I think, of the 20s and 30s that is sold to us now. But movies don't usually have that because they're usually very ethnocentric. You know, what I mean, like they're all American actors with the exception of maybe like a German lead. But and that's something that's very John Ford, too. Oh, um, I want to know. He does that a lot in his Westerns. This is my first um, John Ford, to be and, clear. They're usually, you know, they're usually all European immigrants and usually a lot from like uh, from like Norway and stuff. But um, if my memory serves, but like, you know, a lot of European immigrants weren't considered white. And so like in its own way, it is um, it is, you know, it's boosting up an immigrant narrative that we do not have today. Well, it was cool. it was mentioned in the movie. Like the vet says something about the guy whose cows are dying and he says like, you know, all these Swedish people don't like understand me or something like that. Um, and then, you know, ultimately the vet turns out to be useless. Um, so it is kind of that narrative, you know, it's the and there's another big moment, which is much later in the film that we will talk about because it's kind of something that the movie is known for, I would say. Um, but what were you going to say, Danny? Oh, oh. And about the about the the daughter, uh, well, this is actually first off, this is me being this is me being stupid, which is that when he really like when he said to his wife, I think it might be uh, what what is he, what is it? Is it diphtheria? I oh, I don't know, something well, it, like that. Well, it's it's like an Oregon Trail, <laughs> like I, I know it's from the Oregon Trail video game. And I no, go, that's that seems like a big jump for a thing that's of sore dysentery. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's you get multiple things in Oregon Trail. Uh, anyway, so she she's like and, uh, she has this all fraud. So I think it could be this. And then I'm like, all right, good, yeah, sure, buddy. And then it is that. So I'm like, yeah. oh, I guess I guess he was right to be worried about a sore throat. Because to be clear, them selling it. Oh, she has a sore throat, and she's like in bed, barely moving. Then they undersold it a little. I'm just saying. Uh, but what I really want to talk about here is I think. And I'm tipping my hat super early here. The cinematography in this movie is astounding. I was going to say the same thing. Because I'm thinking about the scene where he talks to his wife after And that. it's there in silhouette, yes. Yeah, and I was just like, whoa, this is great. And there's other great shots in the movie, too. I'll, there's a, a lot, lot of stuff really in the good, Institute. Like, really good zooms on things. Yeah. And really good, like, foreground movements. Just really, really, like, good cinematography yeah i was like how is like how have i never seen any of these because they just immediately look like iconic stark it makes me 
again, tipping my hand here. I want to watch now. I want to watch the movie that won cinematography this year because I don't understand how this like this is one of the best looking early films I've ever seen. I can easily give it that credit. Like I hate to be like this, but if you like, if you think the cinematography is good here, you should watch other John Ford movies. I should watch because it's even better. I know I should watch like this. This stuff has, I think it has occasional really great moments like the moment y'all are talking about of cinematography, but then a lot of it's also just kind of standard for the time. So it's not exactly as consistent, like the man who shot Liberty Valance, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, but like it is constantly amazing cinematography, not just like, like stunning shots, but just he understands how to frame a story. It's really impressive. And I think you see glimpses of that here. Well, the even the uh, I, you're probably right. I mean, hundred percent. Like you know, John Ford. I don't, but I do want to push back on you. Going, like it's just. A, I even think the standard side shots in this are good. They're usually like weird, like not weird, but I'm not used to seeing these full body shots and such early things. Like I remember there's a scene when they're in the institute, and like three of them are talking, and I see pretty much their entire body, but I still have the focus on their. I don't know. I just really like the framing in it a lot, even when mm-hmm. it was incidental. Well, I think it it definitely feels to me like it's it's coming out of that like stage play silent film type framing, you yeah. know, especially with things like inserts and zooms. There's a lot of inserts of him, you know, working on his research and we get like reactions. Yeah, science. We get a lot of reaction shots, which is something that, you know, we haven't we haven't seen in the movies that we've watched so far. Um, so and yeah, that silhouette shot. It reminded me of Gone with the Wind. There's a there's seen. a silhouette shot in <laughs> Gone with the Wind, uh, and it's very good. Um, and this Gone movie has a wind. connection to Gone with the Wind as well. Did it win an Oscar? If you guys, the Gone with the Wind won an Oscar. Uh, I'm sorry, I just wanted to ask really dramatically. It's one yes. quite a few. <laughs> Gone with the Wind. Um, but it had the same. This had the same writer as Gone with the Wind, and he ended up winning um, after his death. Wait, the same screenwriter, or is it based off the same? The same screenwriter. screenwriter. Okay, because I really don't know anything about Sinclair Lewis either, but the name is familiar. So, sorry, I don't. I don't care about Gone with the Wind, but that's cool that he won posthumously. <laughs> Academy should do that again sometime soon. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so so he fails he goes on this call and he fails to save this woman's or this man's daughter a little bit later though the man's like yo my cows are sick and he's like well i think i can handle a cow um and so he starts he starts basically experimenting with the idea of vaccination with these cows much like uh um edward jenner did um and it sets up this dramatic thing that will pay off later where he vaccinates half the cows and half the cows he doesn't, uh, which at first is just like, oh, yeah, that's the scientific scientific method. And I thought John Ford was just kind of trying to explain control groups to people. But no, that actually pays off. What I think is film. interesting about this movie in general is and it's the elephant in the room that we've kind of acknowledged already is that watching it now, knowing how all the recent vaccine studies were done, that I'm just like. Yeah, this makes sense, but, like, it's weird that, like, now, and especially later on in the movie, where there's a much more, like, I don't want to say cruel element to it, but a much colder element to it, when, you know, there are actually so many lives on the line directly with your control group, you know Human I mean? lives. Yeah, yeah, human lives, yes. 
and I feel like though that even you even feel that with the cows because you know those cows mean a ton of money to that that guy, and he's like, can't you just do it to all of them? It would have really helped me. And he's like, that's not what science is. He's like, all right, whatever. Like you know, like that. Like that's really what the farmer's like. Yeah, okay. Whatever. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, and then he's like, do that. Actually, cracks me up too. That he's like. So how much do I owe you after he, the guy, he just goes like, yeah, I could have saved all your cows, but I only saved half of them. But that's, okay, but how I much mean, is, <laughs> how much do I owe you? Of the, half a cow. That's kind of the point of the movie, though, is he wants to be, you know, known scientifically and ultimately, spoiler alert, but he decides to go with what's for the greater good um, with mixed results. Um, uh, this is also the part of the movie where Lee miscarries, um, and kind of sets up, uh, the first real struggle in, um, Aerosmith's life where like his career is going all right, but every time his career goes all right, like he has a personal problem to deal with. What did you want to learn about the miscarriages? What I think is really interesting about the miscarriage scene is how I feel like a lot of movies nowadays or even back then would do something where it's more like, oh, but I'm a good doctor. If I was here, I could have saved my baby. But he pretty much immediately accepts the other doctor's prognosis as, a, prognosis as you can't do there's nothing you could have done. And he's like, oh, no, then I got to be here for my wife, which I like. I, I feel like the other way is just very I don't want to say cheap drama because it could be well done, but it's just like. It did feel kind of this. like they were sort of setting that up, too. Because, like, when he shows up, the doctor's like, I'm the one they called because you weren't here. Um, yeah. So I do think there's an element to it where it's like he couldn't save her. But it's not, like, the main focus of the scene. Well, and it's a thing. I think it just is supposed to reemphasize something that's already been set up in the movie, which is that he's putting the vaccines, which is what he was working on before his relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he could have saved the baby, but he could have been there for her sooner. He's a good, he's a good man. He's a great man. But he had those cows. <laughs> why are you, why are you an Aerosmith apologist? <laughs> Aerosmith is my hero. You know who Aerosmith reminds me of? Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born. Now there's oh, a great man I'm in there. So, no, I'm such a piece of shit. You shouldn't, you shouldn't accept my apology. <laughs> You know, I'll say this. This is just a quick offhand comment, then we'll get back to this. Is that I was really surprised when I was putting together the list for this podcast, the overall list, that A Star is Born didn't qualify. But then I remembered, oh, duh, of course it won song. Uh, (laughs) But it lost everywhere else. All four times. Yeah, because, yeah, because this is the thing that, I'm sorry, this is so off track. But she was nominated. (laughs) She was nominated for actress as Lady Gaga, but she won song as Stephanie Germanata. Pick and choose. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad her dogs are okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so a miscarriage happens, and weirdly, they take this as permission to just move to New York. Uh, not not exactly most people's response to having a miscarriage. Well, of, his, it's, because, his, it's because his they know they won't have to pay for, for the cows. Uh, what? His vaccine for the cows gets him the job. Oh, and I also, I kind of took it also as like, well, I won't be raising any kids, so I guess we can afford New York. See, I don't know. For me, from my perspective, it was like, you know, they just went through, you know, a traumatic event. So, of course, they want to leave. You know, I thought that was kind of the the base level of it. Every time he sees those cows, he's like. But also, 
the downside of this um, pacing style is we have no idea how much time happens between the miscarriage and him actually going to New York. Actually, well, you know what? I'm not going to argue because there's no way for me to look it up. But I actually thought that to me was one of the times I really remember them being in the apartment and being like, wow, it's been like, oh, no, no, it wasn't then. It's later on where she's like, he's like, I've been working here for two years and I have nothing to show for it. Which on that note, I didn't say this before, but I feel like it's relevant now. Like the the pacing and like the year thing. I actually I appreciate that. Like it makes sense from like a science level, because obviously, you know, they're not going to like happen overnight. And I appreciate that. He's like. I've worked on this for so long and nothing's happened. I think that's a good a good bit of realism in an overall fantastical movie. I'm just kidding. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite fantasy, Aerosmith. <laughs> um, Danny, have you ever heard of Aerosmith song? No, absolutely. No, I'm kidding. I know Dream On. You know, <laughs> and I don't want to miss a thing, which is like the go-to high school dance song. I just keep thinking of the Rock and Roller Coaster at Disney World. Yeah. Did you know that the Rock and Roller Coaster didn't win any Oscars? It does have a pre-show. It does have a (laughs) pre-show. Why didn't this April first episode? (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're doing our post-vaccine episode, right? We're going immediately to a theme park without masks on. That seems like a plan. Please. Uh, (laughs) I mean, with masks, Uh, but please. Hey, if you want to come up, never mind. We'll, I'll say that off. I'll say that off mic later. Uh, anyway, so I felt like there was. Some, oh, wait, wait. What about her? Okay, yeah. What about his like weird coworkers who like he gets introduced to them and he's immediately like really combative with them, or well, maybe his bosses. Yeah. I can't remember. One of them's just like, don't interrupt genius or don't interrupt the prodigal son. Uh, yeah, so it's his, it's his, the coworkers were introduced to, it's his mentor from back in the day um, who warned him not to go out west, and he has returned. Then there is his, the chemist, who is just, he just wants to go out and get drinks constantly. And Aerosmith is always like, no, I have to do science. He's like, ah, it's just one drink. And then there's the director who everyone hates. But that's really not checks set up out. until they start hating him. I kind of like that because that's like such a that's such an archetype now that I wouldn't expect to see in a 1930 movie of the money man in charge of the scientists who also is like, yeah, I really like science, too. But money. Anyway, Sarah, there's also I just there's also some random lecturer doctor who he goes to see in Minneapolis, who's yeah, important like later, but minutes, he doesn't work yeah. in New York. And yeah, honestly, well, <laughs> we'll get to him. We'll get to his return soon. Yeah. Because um, I have thoughts. I have actually pretty deep thoughts there. But we do need to talk about the science, the two years of science. The science. That nowadays would definitely be shown in a montage. But here, as the movie goes, just goes, it's been two years <laughs> and nothing has happened. <laughs> but my science senses are tingling, so I have to head back to the lab. And then his and wife follows him, which I love. The entire time. Yes. I, love the, I love that she follows him. And she puts on it. It like shows them leaving the apartment and then it shows them getting to the lab and he turns around and he's like, you've been following me this whole time? (laughs) I thought you went to the park. It's in the opposite direction. (laughs) I like that too. She's like right behind him and he's, she's yelling, the park's in the other way. He just keeps going. He doesn't even go like, he doesn't even answer. Go back home. She 
just keeps yeah, going. Yeah, he doesn't really have any regard for, like, if she's cold or not. And then he tells her to go home, and she's like, I'm too scared. Like, girl, you walked you walked there all by yourself. <laughs> That's really funny. But anyways. It's a funny movie. He would have been, been a great Orpheus. Let's just put it yeah. that way. <laughs> Move on. Orpheus! So, anything we the want science. to talk about with the science? Science where there's just an empty bottle and he's like, What has happened? Where's the bacteria? No, this isn't the most interesting part of the movie. Not that's uninteresting. I have like one I have one thought, but I'm not it's not relevant. It's it's it reminded me of that it reminded yes, me it of is. that Roger Corman movie that we watched in class that one time. The Wasp Woman? Wasp Woman. No lie, something else in this movie. I don't remember what, but it also. I think I, I, I think I know what reminds you of Wasp Woman. It's what Sarah texted me about before we, when she was watching the movie. Oh yeah. Uh, well, we, I think Sarah will talk about it later, so I'll, I'll point it out then. Well, let's kind of, you know, fast forward a little bit. Wait, 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 wait! I had one last thing I wanted to say. Yes. So then we get to the guy who's the snooty guy, and he's like, I'm putting in the paper that my scientist has discovered something that will cure everything. <laughs> and then literally like 20, like 20 minutes in like their time, two minutes later in our time of watching the movie, they get a telegram or a letter that says Louis Pasteur has discovered the exact the same Louis thing. The Louis Pasteur Institute. <laughs> Oh, I heard that, that it was actually I, I Louis Pasteur. Pasteur. Very dead by now. <laughs> I, well, I, 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 I heard Louis Pasteur, which made it more funny to me. The idea that they were just invoking a real scientist in the Somehow, middle of the Somehow, Louis Pasteur has returned. <laughs> he made a vaccine for death. <laughs> but I just love that. It's like he's made a cure for everything. Well, unfortunately, this other institute did too, so. <laughs> But it wasn't even really like he didn't create a. Cure for it was literally just like he killed bacteria, and that was the extent of it. And <laughs> the other, like his his coworker, got so excited and was like, "He made this big discovery!" And like Aerosmith was like, "No, I didn't." <laughs> you're um, calling. You're gonna make people call me a quack, is what he says. Yeah. Uh, but then after this moment was when I paused the movie to make some pizza, and I was like, "Well." This seems like a good point to pause. And sure enough, when I came back, it was like I was watching a completely different movie somehow. I was yes. very confused because it immediately cuts these rats on a ship. And, and there's it, musical score, which I feel like is important to note that musical score had not been in the movie at all up until this point. And, and then it's we like, see the guy. It's like a heist movie. Like these rats like sneaking onto the ship. <laughs> <laughs> the heist? The bubonic plague. It's the Ratatouille heist movie. Um, but anyway, uh, then it shows us the guy who I legitimately was like, oh, is this the guy who was at the beginning of the movie who I forgot about? And it ended up it was him. But they don't the really give you guy. that con Yeah, the lecturer. They don't really give you that context till he re-meets up with Aerosmith. Uh, and I'm going to be very blunt right now about these last 30 minutes is that they kind of have the same problem with Morocco where, uh, well, here's, it's not the exact same issue. My issue with it is I can very easily just say is it starts introducing all these new characters really quickly that we have to care about. And they're no, like, outside of Aerosmith and his wife, none of them are really people we've spent time with besides the lecturer who was in the movie for, like, five minutes at the very beginning. And then we haven't seen them. Yeah, but the lecturer's name, who's, his name's Gustav. I think he leaves an impression, though. Because, like, you imagine he's going to be a snooty scientist and then he's like, nah, let's go get drunk. Now, you want to know what left an impression for me? 
is uh, the doctor from the West Indies, who I was very pleasantly <laughs> pleasant to see. Can I just cut in real face. quick? Real quick, real quick. What? I feel like it's very important to note that the pacing really suffered because they they had to cut out a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. Particularly the stuff with Myrna Loy, because I I know who Myrna Loy is. Like, I recognize her name in the credits. And I was like, where is she in this movie? And she doesn't appear until the very end. Um, and, like, all of her scenes were cut out. But, yes, this other doctor from Howard University. Yes. Yeah, and I was so happily surprised to see it wasn't blackface. I'm just going to be incredibly blunt there. I was fully expecting it because of the year this was in. But, no, we have an actual black doctor in 1930 who is smart and he so so well done portrayal it's not really a big role but i was pleasantly surprised to see it in this big mainstream hollywood movie uh his name is uh the actor's name is clarence brooks and he's probably best known for an uh oscar Mouchot movie murder in harlem um oscar Mouchot, for those of you who don't know was a independent black director uh, around this time um, who was like, well, Hollywood's not going to tell stories about black people. I will. Um, I kind of want to check. I, impressive like, figure I feel like history. he's uh, like, it's not, he doesn't have a big role, but he has a, I think he makes a very distinct impression he, to me more so than Gustav. Uh, but to be fair, also the big impression to me was also just from the surprise that he was in this, uh, this big Hollywood movie from 1931 had a black doctor and who was a good doctor. He's a black doctor. He shakes Aerosmith's hand, which is a big thing. They work together. Um, but it is very much, the rest of the movie is very much, you know, kind of the white man's burden going to the West Indies and like, yes. you know, helping out. Yeah. There's still I'm not giving the movie too some, much credit. There's <laughs> still some yeah. questionable moments, especially where where they decide to distribute the vaccines is kind of a questionable yes. thing. Um, but I think it's important to note that like his portrayal as this doctor was like unprecedented at the time. Like there had never been a portrayal like this of a black man in a mainstream film. Um, so it is. I, I will mean, it's say cool, I did see sure. some reporting on it that got me a little, a little. I don't want to say annoyed because we made the same mistake, but I saw some reporting on it that said he had a pivotal supporting role in uh, Aerosmith that was unfortunately overlooked by his white contemporaries. But here's the thing: it, like it was like implying Oscars, but like as we've covered on the cast before, there is no supporting actor Oscar yet. So I, I like I was kind of like. I think people, I, I guess I don't know contemporary audiences, but to me, if you watch this movie, he stands out in a very positive sense. Uh, I like him. Now I want to check out Murder in Harlem because I think, as I said, he, he's really in the movie for like 10 minutes, like at yeah. the most 10 minutes. He does but have he has a lot one, of presence. He does have one line, like when he first starts talking, which feels like, it feels like Hattie McDaniels, sorry, Dawn uh, with the Wind. It feels like Hattie McDaniels acceptance speech where he says something like, he says, like, what does he say? He's like, I want to be a credit to my people or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's, yeah, with movies like this, it's important to, like, recognize what was unique and, like, in some ways groundbreaking. But you can't ignore everything else, yeah. too. Um, 
Definitely. You have to acknowledge the good or the bad with the good. Definitely. Um, so, yeah. Also, you can argue, I guess you could argue in a way that since he is so on board with the science that he is in a way portrayed badly. I don't know if that's the way to put it, but like, you know, everyone else is telling Aerosmith he can't do his experiment here. And then he goes, no, you can. And ultimately in the film, that's framed as a negative. Uh, yeah, well, he's like. the one who suggests that they go to this poor area. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like, you know, it's one of those things where from a utilitarian standpoint, you it makes sense. Because if even only half the people get a vaccine, that's half more people than would have. Yeah. Um, but at times it also feels like we're going to go to this black population because they're more disposable than the white population. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, complicated movie in this, these last half hour. I mean, it's very much a product of its time. Very much a product of its time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, then we get a bunch of character deaths. We're kind of rushing through this because we've been here and well, been talking about this. Yeah, he has a... He, and the movie rushes through. He has yeah, an okay. affair with a woman, but it was all Which cut out, Myrna Loy. Only signified um, by cutaways. Yes, but it was... I mean, it, there's apparently there's apparently 10 minutes of footage that was just never released. Um, which I feel like, you know, I've said over and over that I really like the love story of this movie... Um, and I feel like, you know, it is an error in the adaptation since he is supposed to be a womanizer, but like, I feel like it kind of wrecks the romance for me a little bit. Cause it's like, why it's is really he having weird. an affair? Cause you she know? dies, she dies pretty much right after the affair too. So it's like, yeah. Oh. Also, I will say it's that. a weird, in sorry, it's a weird inclusion because so Lee dies of, um, of the plague while he is off, you know, Three three people stuff. die. So it's Lee, it's um Gustav. Gustav, and then the did we ever say his name? The black doctor's name. Uh Marchant. Um, Marchant. Yeah, he Oliver, dies as well. Yeah, Oliver Marchant. Um, but it's like it's like the miscarriage. It's like the miscarriage where um he wasn't there for her. And so it's bringing that together, but then because you have the whole affair subplot, that's just distracting from like the thematic emotion of the of the finale. Oh, well, I want to quote Wikipedia here very quickly, which is that Myrna Loy has only a few scenes with Coleman, but their relationship is underdeveloped to the point of being indecipherable. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. The, the, whoever read it Wikipedia, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that, that's pretty. True I love when I, people on Wikipedia <laughs> write like super subjectively. <laughs> but it is pretty indecipherable. The only reason I know that it's, uh, I was kind of like, is this a, the only thing that really gives it away is the cutaway when he's in bed to me. Yeah. Everything else in this is just kind of like, oh, it's a pretty lady that he sees, that he's surprised to see. So he's going to be friends the with The other her. problem, the other problem too is like, she's introduced and then nothing really happens with her until Lee dies. And so it's almost like, I don't know. I feel like Lee got a raw deal. Because yeah. it's like there can only be one woman at a time. Well, he Here's ends up one. he ends up rejecting her. She says, "You know, I want to be yeah. with you," and he's like, "No, absolutely not. Um, I believe I in have science, science today." Yes. Well, okay, I like the ending. I want to be very clear. Are we jumping to the end? Because we can jump to the end. Yeah, let's jump to the I'm end. Okay, yeah. I'm okay with us moving he, on. Because okay, this movie's good. You he, should um, check it out. He once 
Once Lee dies, he decides to give everyone the vaccine. He's not going to have the control group anymore. Yeah, he gets drunk. He gives everyone the vaccine. He does a Joker laugh. He goes back to New York. <laughs> he does do a Joker laugh. Um, uh, so anyway, then he discovers before before we get to the very end, he wants to go talk to his mentor, who, of course, he knows is disappointed in him. and discovers his mentor has had a stroke, uh, which... I don't know. The thing to me about this ending and overall is like, it's just very sad and tragic in a sense where there's de like, I don't want to be like, I can't decipher the meaning behind it. Cause I can, but it's a very, it's hard for me to put into words outside of obviously the very end where he, to me, I think he just kind of gives up on caring about people because it's like first his wife died without him. And then he's begging. He wants to beg for approval from his father figure who can't give it to him because he's had a stroke. See, I saw I saw it as the opposite. I saw him as fully caring about uh, people because he, like his coworker, is like, I'm you know I'm leaving. We're I'm gonna start you know a new company, um, and we're gonna you know dedicate ourselves to this. To me, the ending was like Aerosmith was like, science should be for everybody. That's what See, I thought yeah, it was. like rededicating his life. See, my way I viewed it was him being like, I'm going back for science, meant that he was going to ignore his recent throwing away of science to give out the vaccines, and he wanted to become cold again. So that's interesting that we both came to yeah. different conclusions. Because I think they're both valid reads. I have, I have a third read, which might... I don't this know how wrong. you'll feel about this, this Danny. <laughs> I feel like... I feel like those last 10 minutes are the worst part of the movie because it feels just devoid of consequences. Yeah. We don't get to see, we don't really get to see the effect of him leaving, like doing the science and leaving. We don't get to see the full effect of like the fallout of him doing, um, giving everyone the vaccine. We don't get to see the full effect of him not being able to come to terms with his mentor stroke. I feel like all of it is so compressed and to throw in just, he then rejects this random woman who he may or may not have had an affair with. Um, it just, it feels like it got very sloppy at yeah, the end absolutely. and it was just rushing towards him, like victoriously grabbing his microscope and then being like for science. And I think that that's kind of in the same sense of Morocco where it's like, I, I was working on other stuff at the time. Disclaimer. But, like, I felt like I was kind of spacing out a bit. And then when I, like, came back to it, I was like, nothing has really happened. Like, nothing, like, major, I feel like, has been, you know, happening. I, I think the ending was extremely sloppy. And I think a large part of it was potentially that, you know, potentially that they had to cut a lot of stuff. I think. Yeah, I could see that. I'm just kind of, like... I don't know. I like the ending more than both of you guys. I know I did. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect ending, but I like the very... To me, it is quick-paced, but it still lets, like, the individual tragedies hit one by one. Like, because first, each doctor... Both the doctors die, get their own death scenes. And then she gets her own death scene where he discovers her, and it's, like, really good cinematography again. Then he gets drunk and basically... To me, him being drunk makes it look, I don't want to be like, yeah, he gave up. Like, that's what it, like, it's like, he has lost his conviction to do proper science. So even though it is framed partially as a good thing too. Well, so that's remember, he and didn't want to get, he didn't want to get drinks with his coworkers and then he gets drunk. Ooh, 
some <laughs> but uh payoff the evils of alcohol yeah uh, it's a pre-code film so uh and then i don't know it, it worked for me uh the only part that doesn't work as you said is to me is the entire thing with the woman who should be cut from the film entirely but she's <laughs> like i mean myrna loy like i said i know who myrna loy is she was like a famous actor she's a silent film actress and then she became you know a very famous comedic actress um and it's like why was she even in this like what did what yeah she's she's not the problem yeah well no i'm saying cut just cut her from the movie no yeah absolutely shoot it (laughs) it's an adaptation you're already removing the womanizing we don't need to keep the affair you know so we've got are are we all good with the yeah, movie? I think, I think that we have wrapped up the plot, yes. So we want to do our rewards? Yeah. So as a reminder, this was nominated for Best Adaptation. Well, Best Picture, which we can't reward. Best Adaptation, Best Cinematography, and Best Art Direction. Um, I think I went first last time, so who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um... I'm going to say best cinematography, obviously. I mean, <laughs> like I said, it was really, it was, I mean, it was very good. And, you know, the use of silhouettes and the use of, you know, zooms and things like that. Um, I mean, it's just, it was great. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a fan. <laughs> I will also go cinematography, um, even though I was like, Oh, the films you made 30 years later are better. Like, yeah, of course they are. But um, I the cinematography here is still pretty impressive. And the part that I liked was they were on the boat sailing to the community that he's going to vaccinate. And the tripod's on the boat and it's swinging back and forth. And it's this, it's this type of cinematography where they probably – it was – probably a practical reason where they had to put the camera there, but it just, it puts you in the shoes of the character in a way that I don't feel like many older movies do. Uh, well, first, well, first off, I do pick best cinematography, but I want to give credit to somewhere else because I don't think best art direction is a bad answer. I think the sets in this movie are gorgeous. I think they're very intricate. And I want to briefly talk about something I actually did want to mention that I forgot, but it can be really yeah. best art direction, which is about, uh, the door now as sarah will remember we had a professor in yeah i'm not even gonna say his name we're not even gonna say his name if you know you know we've said his name before on this podcast (laughs) um anyway uh who insisted that whenever a door popped up in a movie it was a reference to the searchers which is when john ford walks through the door and out of the door he's like i don't know stepping a new face of his life john wayne not John Ford. John Ford. John, it, no. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, it's a dumb thing. He was insisting that like Monsters Inc. is about the searchers, stuff like that. Uh, because there's stories in it. And I want to point out that when he walked in to discover his wife, we get a close insert of the door opening. What? John Ford is the referencing searchers the came searchers. out in 1956. Almost like it's like he, a director trademark. Anyway. <laughs> he did it. He pulled it off. He's referenced the searchers. <laughs> 20 years early yeah exactly he was just experimenting with Aerosmith until he got to the searchers <laughs> honestly you know what I wonder if Aerosmith the band saw the searchers and was like we should walk through a door uh- <laughs> I just realized okay no the searchers was a scene in the great movie ride which was in <laughs> the same theme park 
as Rock and Roller Coaster. Aerosmith. It's connections. It all connects. Uh, and also, before I officially give it best cinematography, Sarah, I want you to talk about what I wanted you to talk about earlier that we forgot to about the sound. Uh, yeah, yeah. This That reminded us of Wasp Woman. <laughs> At least that's what I thought when Caleb mentioned Wasp Woman. Um, so there's a part in the movie when they're in the West Indies where, um, I don't even remember, like, what happened. I think it was maybe the, the one doctor died or something, and they were talking about it. Um, but it's raining, and I hated it. I thought it was, I thought the sound design was absolutely terrible, because they're, they're very quiet. You know, the actors are very quiet. The rain is just, like, deafening. But it doesn't sound the like rain. It just, quieter in the scene it just sounds like, you know, noise. And I told Danny that. I was like, this rain scene is, like, it's, I think I said, the word I used was horrific. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I responded with a slight defense, which is that this is the first time in any of these movies we've watched that an actual attempt to distort the sound happens. So mm-hmm. even if it's not good, I appreciate the effort. Uh, but yeah, I do wonder good. if it was <laughs> if it was just raining on the day or if they manufactured the rain. I'm I honestly don't know. Um, I think that's an interesting thought is if the rain was intentional or it just happened. But they did the best they could. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. What's the what's the connection to the Wasp Woman? Because I really oh, don't I remember much like about that movie. I was literally oh, yeah. the only thing that came to mind was just there's bugs. Oh well, no, because you said something else reminded you of Wasp Woman killed that you couldn't remember. So I was like, maybe it's this scene because in this scene it's like how the Wasp Woman literally all you ever hear is <laughs> from any character. And for those of you, for those of you keeping track, yes, that is a reference to our feminist horror class, a class that we reference in every episode. And I will say this also: I want to have it on the record that the feminist horror class teacher did not think every movie was The Searchers. She just thought yes. that every movie was True. The and she. Loved me so <laughs> well, but she also thought everything was the Oedipus complex, so they can't all be winners anyway. We all voted best cinematography, yes, uh, and we covered some stuff we forgot, so let's move on to what we would have nominated for. And I'm first on this one, this one's kind of tough to me. I, I think by far the best parts of the movie are the cinematography and art direction. Uh, I guess I'd give it actor because I actually think he's really good in it. Uh, my boy, what's his face? My boy, <laughs> it's Ron, well, honestly, Ronald you know Coleman, what? right? You know what? I do think I okay. First, yes, I am giving it to him. Uh, I'm giving it to Ronald Coleman, but I do also think that it's weird John Ford wasn't nominated for this. Maybe it's because it was a co-directing joint. I guess we should probably give some credit to that. There was another director on this. His name was uh. Brian Desmond there Hurst. Was? Yes, there was. On Wikipedia. Yeah. Was I didn't notice his name in the opening credits. I don't know if he's credited or not. You just see it on Wikipedia. Uh anyway. So yeah. Uh, I feel like I should mention, by the way, because I didn't mention it before. Um, we already talked about the writer, uh, one for Gone with the Wind. Um cinematographer was nominated two other times and ronald coleman won uh best actor later and this is a really interesting one helen hayes who played lee actually won that year for a different movie 
I want to look up. You forgot. Oh, that's cool. You forgot one thing, which is, of course, the um other guy who was nominated for an Oscar. Did he ever win anything? The art director. Which guy? The art director. Okay, guy. I looked up the guy. Okay, <laughs> here's the thing. Wikipedia has the wrong link. Wikipedia is the wrong link, so I I didn't <laughs> know exactly. I would assume because there's a lot of overlap back then, he might have feasibly been nominated for an Oscar. It looks like he did win twice. Okay, I was gonna. What I said was what I said was because of the time period, I would assume that there was a lot of there was a lot of overlap in terms of like who got nominated for what, as we've already seen. Um, so I just kind yeah. of assumed he probably was, was nominated again. He was nominated 13 times for an Oscar, and he actually won it. Oh, he didn't even win twice. He won, he won a lot. He won I just, in 1936, 1937, 1942, 1943, 1952, and 1955. He won seven times. I just want to point out, by the way, that Caleb went off camera with a knife. <laughs> All right, y'all. <laughs> I'm gonna have to pause real quick because there's a snake in my room and I need to let him outside. There's a snake That's why in I got my room. So I'll be right back. <laughs> there's a snake in my room. There's a snake in my room. Uh, well, yeah. Anyway, so I picked Ronald Coleman, but it's more kind of a thing for default for me because I really like. I, I don't feel comfortable giving this to Mr. Ford nomination. And I honestly, none of the supporting people really stand out in this movie besides uh, our boy Clarence, who I can't like. I he's still only he's not in the movie enough. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess I guess the mentor is pretty good too, but yeah, I don't. I I Doctor Gottlieb. I think Coleman. Yeah, it's his movie, obviously. So I'll go for it. Sarah. What do you? Yeah. What do you want? Um. So, uh, I agree. But I have one caveat. Um, I thought Ronald Coleman was really, really good. Um, I thought he was... I undersold him. <laughs> I... The scene where Lee dies. I don't know if you guys felt the same way. I felt like his performance was a little bit cheesy. It felt like I was watching Alibi again. It was just kind of like... He I got the drunk like, acting too. Yeah, I was say, I feel like the drunk acting got me more to Alibi, uh, but a different character in Alibi. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was really good up until that point, and then I was like, "Well, okay." What reminded me of Alibi in this movie was the minute-long death speech we got from uh, Gustav before he died. Yeah, uh. <laughs> the other one that I was thinking, and I already this makes mentioned more this. Sense, though. Because Gustav's dying of plague. He wasn't shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And he's not from a glee club anyway, too. So I I really liked the music in the opening credits. And I was like, okay, like, <laughs> okay, that's good. And then there was no score throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> so I was like, when I first started, I was like, hmm, that's something to keep in mind. And then there was, you know, nothing. So my, like you know bottom tier one i guess would be score but i'll say ronald coleman for actor despite despite one little blip yeah so i actually this is tough for me because i think it was nominated for most of the stuff that probably would have deserved um Wait till we get to except it wasn't nom for nominations this will be really hard then yeah <laughs> 
Ford wasn't nominated, but also this is on the weaker end of his films I've seen. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I want to give it to him. I'm going to, I'm going to do something I'm not super sold on, but just because I can't think of a better idea. I am going to give this best editing because I think that for this pace, how like quickly this is, is moving. The editing did match the pace really well. And even though they had to edit around the affair subplot, I think they did that as best as they could. Can I argue against the editing for a second? And you can still pick it, but I want to mention one scene that I wanted to mention that I forgot. And that's the scene where he runs into the vet when he's coming back. And I think he punches him. I couldn't tell with the edits. Uh, I love that scene. Oh, That's yeah. the most Western this movie gets. Because the vet says confused. something like, you know what you're going to get? And he like puts his fists up. He puts his fists up, but then it like cuts to him falling over. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was very Yeah, you cut, before, you cut before action, right? You don't cut That's on it. I, I feel like I should note, by the way, that this was, I think we already mentioned it, but this was a pre-code film, but like, for some reason, like the the editing around the affair is very strange to me for a pre code yeah. film. Um, uh, and apparently, editing well, a vet punching a doctor as well. Yeah, uh, I was also well. Caleb, okay, you can pick editing, but I think it's interesting enough as we're picking a uh, actress for this because we all seem to really like her. Well, she already was. I always pick actress. So. <laughs> Caleb, it's your job. You gotta pick the actress. Don't you, or do you hate women this week? I've been told I hate women on this podcast. Listen, I've stood up for Lee. You're the one. You're the one who's defending Aerosmith. Hey, you're the Aerosmith apologist. Song. Anyway, I'm uh, sorry. I'm dying over. Do you hate women? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, me and Sarah pick best actor for uh, Ronald Coleman. Not related to Olivia, as far as I know. Uh, we had a conversation with my other podcast about... Co-host didn't know who she was. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, Ronald Coleman, me and Sarah both want him nominated. Caleb is obsessed with the act... The editing, excuse me, the editing. Uh, and yeah, that is Aerosmith. Alright, so next week... Thank you for doing the Villain Ted air guitar, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, next week well by next week going two weeks from now because I always say next week even though it's a bi-weekly podcast we will be watching a movie on you can find on YouTube uh, we won't be doing as big as a lead up because usually I'm like Caleb drum roll please but Caleb already knew because I don't like the YouTube copy but we're going to watch it anyway uh, we're watching Lady for a Day Frank Capra's movie it was nominated for some Oscars I don't know exactly how many hold on I don't and this Spoiler alert, but this will not be the only Frank Capra movie that we cover. Yes, which means we will not go fully as in-depth as we normally would um, for these directors. Fun fact is that the one we'll definitely do that the least on, and we'll talk about when we get to him, is William Wyler, who I think shows up about four times in this. Uh, four or five times during this series. But anyway, Lady for a Day, sixth, uh, sixth Academy Awards, four nominations, just like Aerosmith. We'll discuss it in two weeks. Frank Capra, our boy. Uh, all right. Sign offs. So I'll go first. I'm Danny Vincent. Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Blake Mintz. Uh, you can also follow my other podcast, uh, 
why is with Ty and Dan if you want to hear about the MCU. Uh, here's some other Oscar talk. We did Oscar talk this week briefly. And by we, I mean I ranted and my co-host was like, okay, Danny. And my guest was like, they should just stop doing the Oscars. And I was like, well, you're not wrong, but I don't want to talk about that. Anyway, you can, we, can, we can listen to that if you want. Uh, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, and you should follow us on social media. We have a Twitter. It's snub the. And Sarah's going to tell you where the Insta is and then sign herself off too. Yeah, our Instagram is uh, Snub Club Podcast, I think. Um, yeah, I run Club? that one. It's Snub Club. It's just search Snub Club. You'll find it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm Sarah. You can find me on Letterboxd at just my name, Sarah Kanoff, K-N-A-U-F. I've got a lot of really exciting things going on there, uh, particularly at the end of the year. But I feel like I need to hype that up because I'm really excited for this year. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, SGK29ESSGEEKAY. Um, yeah, that's it. I am Caleb Bunn. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. Um, and like Danny mentioned earlier, I have my fourth podcast just uh just launching called star wars therapy where me and my friends alex and steven go to a room and talk about star wars for about an hour or so uh and just kind of riff and have have a good time and try not to bully anyone off of twitter um and except uh, for gina carato it's the opposite of my podcast i'm constantly bullying people off twitter we did we did kind of bully Gina Carano in the first episode, but um, hey, that's a monthly okay. we podcast. Bully Brad Bird back on the Twitter. Remember that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Should I tweet at Steven Tyler and ask him about Aerosmith? <laughs> I see this. No, you should ask him about this. that one ride and see if that's a connection. <laughs> Is the Great Movie Ride a reference to <laughs> John Ford's Aerosmith? Okay, so you can check out you can check out Star Wars Therapy wherever uh, good podcasts are found, um, and you can check out my other podcasts as well, Hot Trash Unlimited. Big thanks to our editor Joe, um, who is gonna have just a fun time editing this double <laughs> yes, this double issue thank episode. You. Sorry, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> And you can check out his podcast, All New 52, which is all about comic books. Uh, and that will do it for me. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you all in two weeks with our boy. I keep saying our boy, but I think Frank Capra is definitely up there with John Ford as someone people know. So we'll see you with some Frank Capra and a lady for a day. All right. Heck yeah. Peace out. Yeah. Bye. Get, all right, get, get your vaccine. Get your vaccine. Oh, yes. Get your vaccine, please. <laughs> Okay, now bye. <laughs> Don't be like those people in 1905 who took a case to the Supreme Court to to get vaccines to not be mandatory, and they lost that case. <laughs>